0: blog talk radio hello hello i'm laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to teach me to talk the podcast today we're going to be picking up with the topic that we started several weeks ago and i've been out for a few weeks i had a cold that morphed into a sinus infection that ended up uh, getting worse into bronchitis. So that's really irritating when someone tries to do a show like this and all you can hear is me coughing and sniffling my way through the entire hour. So I did not want to put anybody through that, including myself. So it was better just to kind of take off and get well. And if you are on my email list, you already knew that. Uh, because I always send out those little updates, and several people emailed me and said, hey, where's the show? I was really looking forward to the next few episodes. If you ever want to know anything going on at teachmetotalk.com, just uh, subscribe to our email list, and that's really easy to do. Go to teachmetotalk.com's homepage. Look for that green banner right in the middle that says sign up you'll get a free parent ebook which is fabulous not only if you're a parent but for a therapist you can certainly share that information with parents one of your first pieces of education that you provide for a new family it really explains Speech-language difficulties, it talks about the hierarchy of language development from social interaction to cognition and receptive language on through expressive language, and then finally intelligibility. And we know that lots and lots of children with who are like talkers have various pieces <laughs> of those four foundations uh, for effective communication skill development. And so it's a super, super resource. And if you're a parent, and especially if you're a new parent if you have if you have a child who has just been diagnosed with a language delay or if you're just starting to worry that your child is a late talker and you're you're out there looking for information and you want to know what's going on and what you can do best at home to help your child it's just an excellent resource to get you started so let me encourage you to do that today all right let's pick up where we left off remember we started this series at the beginning of 2017 talking about why kids don't play. And remember why, why we're talking about this in the first place. Play is one of the very best ways to elicit a young child's initial interest and participation with you. And here, here's the truth <laughs> that I may not have said in exactly this, this same way on the past few shows, so I want to be sure that I say it here. The first key to working with any child with any delay or any issue it doesn't matter whether it's talking as we're discussing here today whether it's listening or following directions whether it's a physical skill that you want to teach them whether it's a self-help skill like you really want them to learn how to feed themselves or you really want them to learn how to pull down their own pants so that you can begin to and pull up their pants so you can begin to think about potty training all every 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 skill that we would ever teach a child hinges upon that child's ability to attend to us and to pay attention to us and to include us and to care that we are there. <laughs> so essentially, attention is the gatekeeper for teaching any skill. And I say that in my course um, well, I say it in a course I'm about to teach next week, and I meant to do this announcement. I'm going to be at the Kentucky Speech and Hearing Association Conference as a highlighted speaker next week. It's in Lexington, Kentucky on Wednesday night, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and then Saturday morning. I'll be there on Thursday afternoon. So if you are in or near Kentucky and you've been wanting to come to one of my live Courses. this is a fantastic opportunity and I'll be talking about receptive language and how important it is and remember what receptive language means expressive just talking but receptive language is understanding or comprehension and so we're spending three hours talking about how important receptive language is and then segueing into behavioral suggestions and recommendations for what to try when a kid is not compliant or listening or following directions and it ties in so nicely with today's topic and with the series that we're doing in the podcast too you have to be able to hook a child's attention which means getting him to again listen to you include you look at what you're trying to get him to pay attention to all of that begins all of that is so necessary in the beginning step for any. That we'll be teaching a young child, and actually, that's the way we uh, we we learn this way our whole lives. We learn how to drive (laughs) by watching someone else and paying attention. We learn how to swim by watching someone and paying attention. And so, again, this is the the first skill that we want to be looking for. And with young children, when we are teaching them anything, the best way to accomplish that is with a really playful, um, you know, you don't even realize that you're learning because we're having so much fun, that kind of philosophy or that kind of approach. So that's when we're talking about play because play is an important way to teach kids how to communicate. Now we certainly teach kids to communicate all day, every day during our daily routines or our daily schedules so we're talking to kids when they're in the bathtub and when we're feeding them and when we're changing their diapers and when we're playing outside and when we're driving in the car and when we're walking back in the house and when we're just hanging out and when we're doing laundry and when we're doing dishes I mean we talk to kids all day long or we should and we're teaching them what words mean and how to say and how to communicate what their own little intentions are we certainly do that all day but play gives us an ex especially powerful medium for teaching children how to communicate because it's all about them. It's not about like we talked about with those other examples, taking a bath or completing a house chore, excuse me, or getting getting through whatever task we're trying to get through. When we play with a kid, it's it's all focused on them and it's all directed toward their enjoyment, (laughs) and sharing that activity together. And you may have another goal or outcome, meaning that, you know, if you're playing with a ball and hammer toy, you're hitting the ball with a hammer or you're watching the ball go through and you're having fun. But, again, what are you really doing? What's your reason for doing that? You're teaching them. You're helping them learn. You're helping them learn about the world around them. You're helping them learn how to understand what words mean. And you're helping them learn how to communicate, again, through gestures. Maybe a little body movement some real life practical solutions. And again, these aren't pie in the sky solutions. These are not solutions that you're going to need a therapist and a mom and another adult helper there to be able to implement. (laughs) These are things that a speech pathologist who's listening to the show and who makes a really you know at least half hearted attempt <laughs> at at getting these strategies going. you'll be able to do this if you're a mom, don't panic just because I said if you're a speech pathologist or any other kind of therapist or trained professional it it doesn't even take that if you will just listen <laughs> to these problems and think, hey, does my kid do this or not? Or sometimes, here's the thing, we miss that a kid's even doing these things. We think, oh, he's just being stubborn, he just, uh, he's just thinking about something else, he's just doing his own thing. And we don't even realize that there's anything more specific going on beyond that with even regarding a child's behavior. We might not even realize that a child that we're working with or a child that we're parenting <laughs> uses some of these behaviors as a way to avoid playing with us, and so I think it's a good reminder, and we're walking through this information, and again, remember, if you need, want the written version of this, if you need a written uh, explanation of these ideas to try you can get that in my book teach me to play with you i published that in 2010 i cannot believe it's been six and a half years since that book was released uh, but super super resource it it walks through teaching a child how to interact with you with social games lots of cute little finger plays and rhymes and songs there's the whole chapter on early toys and then lastly the, There's a whole chapter on solving these kinds of problems in play. And that's where this information is from. So if you want to get yourself a copy of this book or if you learn better through reading than you do through listening. And so you're just listening to this program maybe to pass the time while you exercise or you drive to your next little client's house or your kid's asleep and this is what you do while you do housework or whatever. Um, the, the written book is great because you can go back and look at these ideas and say, oh, yeah, I remember she said that. I'm going to try this. Let, let's look at that, these kind of step-by-step instructions, which lots of us need. And I certainly am that kind of learner, too. I like to hear it. I like to see it. But, boy, I love that written <laughs> guide so that I can go back and make sure that I haven't left anything out or make sure that if something's not working, that there's probably something that I forgot about, and so I like that written uh, representation of the same information, even if I've already heard it. So today, let's move on and let's talk about four different issues, and again, some of these might be a teeny bit similar. problems that we discussed in the first couple of shows in this series but again here's here's the reason why it's this stuff is worth repeating sometimes well let's back that up many times even we as adult learners don't fully process something until we've heard it several 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 repetitions or several presentations of material some experts say that we have to hear a piece of information seven times before we really, really have fully committed that to our long-term memory or or our... Even our working memory, so that we're able to use it. So you may be listening to the show today on a Thursday, and then not see a kid that you need the strategy for until next Monday or Tuesday. And by that time, you don't even remember that you listened to the show. <laughs> even even if you were intending, you may forget. So again, sometimes when we're repeating the same kind of information. There's a purpose in there. And if your brain is not going, oh, yeah, I remember that, somebody else's brain probably is. So that's why, again, I wanted to just mention that some of these strategies will be the same. And and there's comfort in that, too, because you don't have to learn 250 different ways to handle some of these problems. Some issues that keep a child from playing or some problems that we see in play Actually, the, even though the problems are different, the solutions might be similar um, to another problem. So, again, I want to be sure that we're talking about um, why why we may be using some of the same strategies uh, with, with one problem that seems a little bit different in your mind. When you're thinking about a kid who does this kind of behavior that's problematic in play versus this kind of behavior, um, you may be thinking, how does that match up? Why would the solution be the same? The problem is different not so fast. And we'll talk about some of that as we go today. So let's begin with a problem, gosh, that just seems to have exploded during the course of my career. And I started practicing, you know, I've been a speech pathologist for close to 25 years. And so when I started practicing, um, even this this was even a this was a new problem then but it's just kind of a newer problem it's just evolved and so it's watching a children a child who prefers watching television or videos or now playing and with an app on a tablet same kind of issue a kid that's kind of addicted or obsessed with a screen, and again, when I first started practicing, this might have been a television show that just kind of came on at a regular time, or mom knew with Saturday morning cartoons, or with afternoon um, cartoons, or, you know, there was still, even way back then, uh, children's programming, especially on um PBS channels like that, and so we used to talk a lot about how kids were addicted to TV, and then we talked about, oh my goodness, it it moved to videos, so it moved to our 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 tapes, and then our DVDs, and now it's morphed again with uh, games that are on phones and are on tablets, and again, same kind of problem. It just looks a little bit different from decade to decade because technology has evolved so rapidly. So, what might a kid look like? when he seems to prefer TV or videos or screen time to real-life activities. And by that i mean meaning interacting with you, playing with you, or enjoying playing with a toy. And I've certainly worked with children whose moms say, hey, listen, Laura, if, if I let her watch TV all day long or if I let him just have the iPad all day long, I would not hear from him for hours at a time. Yeah, know, and and they'll say, you know, I I didn't really, parents will say, I didn't really realize that that was a problem. I just thought he was kind of good, and I just thought he was occupying himself, and I kind of liked it. I did not realize that that there was an underlying social interaction problem. I just thought he liked his shows, and I just thought, well, I'm just going to let him do it because he can do it, and I can get my stuff done, and I can check on him, and he's not – creating a fuss, and he seems really, really happy, and surely he's learning from watching all of that, right? I mean, gosh, there's so many problems. I could do an entire show just on that one statement <laughs> with teasing apart what all might be going on with that kind of kid, and and all of the different issues surrounding that preference of his for watching something rather than doing something, Or looking at a screen rather than playing with a toy. And, again, sometimes when we think about screen time, let's kind of look at that. And, again, I've done so many shows on this, and we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to be the dead horse here. But let's kind of look at what's happening when a kid is locked into that screen Many, many, many times, everything else has just kind of shut down around him, and he 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 has a really hard time shifting his attention from what he's looking at on that that little screen or big screen. <laughs> to what you wanted to do. And so it does look like what happens when we as adults kind of veg out to a show. You know, if you get kind of, if you're binge watching <laughs> something on Netflix or something that you've dvr and you just watch episode after, episode after episode after episode, it does kind of start to, after a while, make you feel pretty sluggish and like you're not really interacting and like you maybe even get a little grumpy with those folks around you and so uh, lots of times it does kind of look like you're under but in, in in some ways you're kind of overstimulated, meaning that you can't process what any, other any any other incoming messages that you know your husband's trying to talk to your kid's trying to get your attention all you can do is kind of focus on the show you're watching well it's even worse for a kid with a language delay because language is not as many to him as it is to you yet he doesn't understand the words that you understand as an adult and so a lot of times this screen time really is primarily visual he's just seeing these visual images change and you know that that changing kind of um display right there and he so he's really just watching so it's really more of a visual activity than anything else sometimes i've illustrated this to moms I've said hey listen I wonder what would happen if we just you know if a mom is really thinking that they're learning a lot of language and I've tried it in very uh, gentle ways to redirect a mom from that opinion and I've said I-, I wonder if he'll watch it if the sound is off if you ever turn the sound off and he's really really paid attention and so then we turn the sound off and uh, most times kids who really really are hooked into screen time will sit there and still watch even if there's no if there are no words. And so I'll say to mom, gosh, you know, how's he really learning language to understand what words mean if he can't even hear it, if he doesn't even know what the people are saying? And so that's kind of an aha moment for a lot of parents. And again, I, I wouldn't <laughs> use that illustration if I thought that it would hurt a parent's feelings or make them feel upset. I always do it in a way that it's, I feel like it's very constructive and it really really illustrates the point that you know we're not doing much to teach language uh to a kid who again isn't really processing what words mean by using something that they merely watch. Now for a long time the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended absolutely no screen time for a kid under 2 or under 3. And then very limited access after that. Now, because times have changed, and as I said before, technology has evolved, they've backed off that a little bit, and they've said, when we're using screens, if they're interactive, meaning that if app that a kid has to do something besides just swipe to get to the next screen. But he has to really and swiping would even be considered a you know interactive in in a sense as well because he's actually doing something, not just sitting and listening or, or watching. But he's actually doing something. So now the recommendation is if it's if it's interactive, it's much better than if it's just completely passive. And we certainly know as Therapist and as uh, on the ball moms and parents, that there we can make a video or a television show interactive if we're talking to a child about it, if we're asking him questions, if we're pointing out things, if we're sharing that experience, that can certainly be interactive. So, not all screen time is bad, but I'm talking about for, for this specific scenario a child who is just locked into that and who seems to zone out or it's just super super hard to get his attention or again it's something that she wants to do all day long to the exclusion of everything else Um, it could even be that a child has become echolalic meaning that they are echoing or just repeating what they've heard from their little shows and you recognize it, and on one hand, you're excited about that because they're saying words, and you can understand it, and you know exactly where it's from, and you get a little window into their brain. But on the other hand, you know that they don't really understand those words. They're not, uh, these are kids that may not follow directions, may not consistently even look when you call their names. And so it's it's a little disjointed when you hear them quoting lines or sometimes even, you know, paragraphs from a show that they've heard and you start to really get a feeling that mm, she doesn't really know what she's saying or she doesn't, she's not using these words. She's just merely repeating them. So that's what echolalia means. And echolalia is most commonly associated with the diagnosis of autism. And so it is a red flag and it is a concern, particularly when there's a gap in that a kid can say a whole lot more than he seems to understand or seems to process. So again, that's Different. And so, so let's talk about the big problem with, with a child who does seem to prefer a screen to real life, meaning toys or people. What, what's happening when we let him do that? He's missing out. He's missing out on all kinds of opportunities to learn from another person and to interact with another person. And that's what communication is. It's really that back and forth exchange of information where you're talking to him, he's listening to you, and then hopefully... he begins to talk back and again you can you can figure out from what he says what he's thinking what he's feeling but it always involves that two-way exchange of information many many times when kids are hooked on screens it's just a one-way street they're they're and here's the truth. They may not even really be processing or understanding, especially auditorily or, or listening from a language perspective, what they're hearing. It just is that visual thing. And then if they do that, if they stay stuck on that, you know, a couple of hours a day or longer, that means that they're not doing something else that in that same period of time could have been more constructive for them. And again, if you are dealing with a child who is a light talker or a Especially with a child who has problems understanding what people say to him, it is not the best way for him to spend his time. And that doesn't mean that you won't ever get to do it. Let him, you know, watch something while you're taking a shower, or if you are, you know, in a cross country drive to your parents' house and you need him to be in that car seat and good and happy for eight hours, yeah break out the screens at that time that's a perfect time for that um, but at the same time you don't want to allow him unlimited access to screen time all day long and I've had some parents who say, well he doesn't do the same screen like he'll watch TV and then I might put it you know on the TV in the van or I give him the phone and, you know, I'll go, I'll check on him in an hour later and he's still kind of playing with that. It's not really the same thing. You know, the phone is different from the tablet, is different from the big TV, is different from the TV in the car. Not really. (laughs) It's all screen time. And don't look at that as four or five separate activities where you're thinking, well, he was 20 minutes on my phone. Don't do that. It's still screen time. And so remember, again, our purpose with these kinds of kids is to teach them the benefits of interacting and the benefits of uh, communicating. So (laughs) they need to assign meaning to words. They need to link uh, events and use language to do that. That's, that's what being a person is all about. That's what makes us all human. So, again, those are the reasons, the, the big reason why we want to kind of prevent that, a child from lapsing into that pattern where he spends, you know, 20 hours a week with a screen, because then he's missed out on 20 hours a week of something else that may have significantly impacted his, language skills and his learning skills so that he isn't so behind where we want him to be developmentally. All right, so let's talk about some possible explanations. Why might a kid prefer TVs, video screens, to people and, and playing with toys. A lot of times it is that strong visual piece. They don't understand what words mean. So to them, it kind of, when somebody talks, it kind of sounds like the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> or I, I've used this example forever, and it's becoming a little old now because Charlie Brown is not as popular as when most adults were children. But remember the Charlie Brown teacher? and how she talked when they were at school and and the Charlie Brown teacher sounded like wah, 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 wah. And you knew she was talking, but you didn't really know what she was saying. You might've understood the tone if the teacher had an angry or frustrated or very um, punitive tone with the Charlie Brown characters. We got that, but we really didn't get the specific words. And, that's a perfect example of a child who has no problems with hearing his little ears and brain are working fine with receiving that auditory message. He just doesn't know what it means, and again, he hasn't assigned uh, meaning or or concepts he hasn't linked what's really really happening with the words that you're saying, so he's just kind of tuning all of that out in real life and they do it and again, a kid who doesn't follow directions from you. When you say go get your shoes or where's your puzzle or let's go get something to eat or it's time for a bath, a kid who doesn't understand and follow those directions does not understand the language he's hearing on that screen. He really, really doesn't. So don't don't kid yourself. <laughs> and there may be, you know, one exception out of hundreds of thousands of children, but for the most part, there's no way they understand all of that fast-paced language that they're getting on that screen when they don't follow really simple, familiar directions for you. So a kid who likes a screen probably has some of those visual tendencies, meaning that, that visual information is more alerting or, or somehow makes more sense to him than what he's hearing auditorily or language-wise. And, again, we talked about the underreactive, overreactive piece. And until you're looking at a kid watching TV and kind of examining what comes next and what came first and kind of looking at the whole kid and the whole dynamics of his day and how his family, you know, what what their routines are, you really don't know if he's underreactive or overreactive. But a lot of times the, the signals of overstimulation are just like we talked about before, that grumpiness or that resistance to doing anything else after it's really, really hard to get them to shift their attention. A lot of that has to do with overstimulation. So again, you want to be careful that you are not contributing to that sense of dysregulation in that child's little system. And again, overstimulation, dysregulation, those are all really kind of fancier ways for saying things are out of whack. That kid is not in a calm, happy receptive place for him to be able to learn what you're trying to teach him. He's he's shutting information out. He's overwhelmed. He's not attending or not ready to attend in the way that you think that he is. So again, that that might be why a kid's doing it. They have strong visual preferences for that screen time. And then other things like language or too much language at one time really bombard their system. So that's, that's kind of one issue. And, and they, and they watch kind of as a way to shut it else out, especially when they like it. All right. Next, the next possible explanation for why a kid would, um, say stuck with a screen is that TV shows and movies, especially something they've seen over and over and over, are really predictable, and real life it's not. (laughs) So a child might know what's coming next and like that. He really, really gets into that anticipation and then that coming true, and they prefer organization. They prefer routine to anything that's novel or new. And certainly our little friends who have red flags for autism fit this category of children very, very uh, well because they like that sameness. They are inflexible when it comes to tolerating even sometimes minor changes. And so when they can have a show that they know (laughs) what they're going to see that really is exciting for them and comforting for them on some level. So that could also be a possible explanation. Uh, And, again, we already talked about this one with overstimulation. A lot of times kids use TV to kind of zone out and block out or recover from an uncomfortable feeling of being overstimulated. And certainly we as adults do that too. When you've had a really, really hard day at work or a hard day with your kids, don't you want to get them to bed and then just – You know, melt into the couch (laughs) where you can relax and just, again, turn your mind off with what might be happening in real life and focus on what's in front of you on your screen, and certainly kids can do that too. All right, so let's talk about some ideas that we can try when a child seems to prefer TV and videos to people and toys. I've already said the first thing, you really, really want to watch your frequency, so use it only occasionally. Remember, If he's watching that screen, he's not going to learn how to interact with other people and and shift his attention to include other people. So you may have to pull the plug (laughs) for some of these kids. I've had some families who have been so just cut and dry about this, and they've just said we're not going to watch TV. They've taken the TVs out of their homes or they you know just don't turn them on anymore. They don't give the kid the tablet anymore and they tell me a lot of times you know that the first day or two is is rough and they think oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But they survive, <laughs> and they come away with it, and they kind of they kind of plan you know we're going to play outside more during this time, so you know if you're about to have a big snowstorm where you live, this might not be the best possible time to decide you're not going to do t v anymore or or have as much tablet time as you've given your child, so make sure that you are planning uh, activities or other opportunities so that your child doesn't miss it. Because if he misses it, then you know that he's probably going to put up a fuss about it. But if you've done a good job of coming up with what you're going to do in place of that screen time, it goes a long way for making that a lot more comfortable, not only for him, (laughs) but for you. And you don't have to manage as many tantrums or even meltdowns when you already have a plan in place for how you're going to handle that. So what are some other things you can do? Get some new toys. Pull out some toys from the very bottom of the toy box or closet that you haven't played with in a long time. Again, I talked about special outings like planning to go to the park or play outside or take more walks. Some parents have told me, you know, he really likes to bath, likes his bath. So anytime that I think, oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, I might be giving him three baths a day. Uh, in this time when we're sort of trying to reduce or significantly limit uh, his screen time you know so I've I've just let him stay in the bath you know for 45 minutes at a time and I really really played with him and that has seemed to get us over the hump so be sure that you're looking at your other options Uh, you know what you might want to do too is if you if he has just said a lot of little favorite toys and you know hey next weekend is when we're really going to just make some dramatic changes about how much TV time and DVD time that I'm letting him do. And so you may sort of go ahead now and take some of his very favorite things that he enjoys to playing with or maybe his favorite little books and not let him have access to those for the three or four days before that happens so that when you do decide, hey, we're going to really monumentally change screen time today. <laughs> You've got some things that he already likes and that he's missed a little bit. And so when you bring it out, it's like, uh, you know, he's excited about it because he hasn't seen Thomas in a few days. Or he's, he, you know, they love the book, um, you know, whatever, you know, a llama llama book. And so you think, gosh, I'm going to read with him a lot today. So I might not read as much over these next couple of days because I want reading to be so super fun and exciting on on no TV day that it kind of gets us through that. So that's certainly um, a solution that parents have shared with me that seemed to work too. Other things you can do um, instead of, you know, sometimes parents say, well, I'm not going to be able to limit screen time, so what can I do? We talked about this before, but I want to make sure you don't miss it. Make that screen time interactive. So instead of just giving him the tablet, and sit down and play the game with him. You take a turn, he takes a turn. That's a wonderful way to work on interacting and communicating because that's what talking is. It's that turn taking back and forth. So that might be something that you do. And again, you might just hold him when he's watching TV and talk to him about what's going on on his favorite little show. So that's certainly a way that you can make it more interactive too. Another thing that you need to know when you're playing with these kinds of kids is that you just can't be Visually boring. The reason that a lot of these kids like TV or videos or DVDs or again any screen is because it is visually exciting. So that tells you, hey, <laughs> if I want to get his attention, I better be really fun to look at. I better give him a show. I better give him something to watch and something worth paying attention to. So a lot of times, this really means that we change our own aspects or our own emotional presentation. So we use a lot of bigger facial expressions. Uh, we're funnier. We try again to smile and look like we are just having the time of our lives because it gives that child again a reason to pay attention to us. The last suggestion here with kids who seem to prefer a screen is really pay careful attention of what that child seems to want to spend a lot of time doing with the screen. So if it's a favorite show or a game maybe that has a particular character or a certain activity in the game, you really wanna try to capitalize on that child's interest. So let's say a kid really, really likes a show like, um, oh gosh, Bubble Guppies is that the name? I had a kid last year who really liked that show. Get yourself some toys that relate to that show or figure out what they're doing on there that he seems to really like. So if he gets excited at one particular part of the show, watch it and say, what are they doing? Is he excited because they're um, throwing things? Is he excited because they're, Swimming? Is he, you know, figure out what's going on that seems to make him excited? Is he excited because he likes the line that they repeat over and over and over? And so I have certainly used a lot of the themes or the characters from a child's favorite television or uh, movies to hook him into playing with me. And there are so many toys out there on the market. And most parents have already done that. They've identified, hey, he really, really likes watching Woody. So I'm going to get myself out to Target or Walmart or the Disney store and see if I can find a toy, a woody toy that he can play with. And so certainly be sure that you're doing that. And that's a great way to segue into playing more instead of watching more. And so you may, and for some kids I have sort of, especially if they're echolalic, sort of, sort of loosely based my uh, a play theme or an idea on what they're hearing like if um you know with dora and diego they talk about maps so we might say or backpacks you know oh look is it a backpack you know backpack backpack and then sing the same little song and repeat that but be sure that you're expanding on that too you know you want to use this and these approaches and strategies as a way to hook a child's attention but you don't want to help them stay fixated on a pattern that may not be as constructive as you would like so again use your judgment about that with you know i don't want to do the same exact thing as the show because that really reinforces that echolalia, but at the same time, it's familiar enough so that the child wants to participate with you. Okay, so that was problem number one. Let's talk about this next problem. It's a sensory issue too, but these are kids who are sensitive to touch. So some tactile or touch sensitivity. So what might this look like? This would be a kid who doesn't like to touch new textures in play. So let's say you've never shown a kid, he's never seen Play-Doh before. But you introduce Plato and he does not like it at all. He doesn't want to touch it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He seems totally grossed out or even afraid. Just again, that initial resistance or reluctance there. This might be a kid who does not like holding your hands. <laughs> if you want to get him to walk beside you. And he really doesn't like it when you grab his hand. A lot of times parents will think, oh, this is because he just is a little stinker and he doesn't like being controlled. But sometimes it's just they have a real difference in how holding a hand would feel to them. So it's irritating or it's annoying rather than I don't want to do what my mom says. So look at that and figure out. And usually, again, if you're not sure about some of these things, just listen. But let, let me just interject that a skilled occupational therapist can help you tease out these problems so, so well. And a speech pathologist who has, or a developmental therapist or educator who has had a considerable amount of experience or a lot of particular insight about sensory differences in children may help you spot some of these things too, whereas you thought it was a behavioral issue, meaning that, again, they they want to be the boss and you're not going to tell them what to do. Sometimes it's a little bit more than that. So have somebody, t- if you're a mom, talk about some of this with a therapist so that you are working through some of these issues. And, again, that's not to say that you won't do anything about it. That's not to say that you won't say, well, yeah, some tactile um sensitivity issues so I'm never going to touch his hands or I'm never going to make him learn how to feed himself because he doesn't like touching the food or I'm never you know you're not making an excuse for a kid where you give him a reason not to do something forever but you are considering it in that there's some things that I might be able to do that will make this situation more comfortable for him so that he can let me hold his hand more or he can finger feed himself or he can you know play with a play-doh so again uh, be sure that you're looking at it in the right way other ways that a child might exhibit that they have some tactile sensitivities, they play by themselves and they want, they become upset if they're around other kids. And so if another kid kind of touches them or um, gets in their space, they do not like that either. And again, sometimes this might not be a tactile sensitivity, it could be just that initial um, avoidance of other people. It's not always about tactile sensitivity, but there are some kids that are so sensitive to other folks touching them and and incoming incoming pressure to their bodies (laughs) that they will do anything they can to avoid the possibility that another kid might uh, get up in their face or, you know, again, touch them or do something unexpected like that. So they bolt and get out of there. Uh, sometimes kids that are sensitive to touch don't even really like to be held by their parents. And so this is really, really disconcerting to a new mom who has her brand-new baby home, and, you know, she wants to cuddle him and hold him and love on him and do all those things that we dream about while we're pregnant. And then we have that child, and he suddenly is more uncomfortable as we are holding him, than he seems to be when he's by himself in his crib or when, we, when he's in a swing. Or, and, again, that is such an emotional issue for a mom to try to handle. And they're processing, you know, all of the typical postpartum issues that we all have when we have, have, deliver children. <laughs> and then on top of that, you've got this extra feeling of, gosh, I don't know if my baby loves me. And then you start to think, I don't know if my baby will ever love me. Will I ever be close to him? Is you know is he not going to bond with me? What and then then they think this is all my fault. I'm a terrible mom, and so we have to really. <laughs> I'm not saying that SLP should be psychologists, and in no way, shape, or form am I qualified to do that. And I bet a lot of you as therapists feel like you're not qualified to do that either. But we do have to recognize when we hear these things or when we hear hints of these kinds of feelings that a mom may be having. And if we don't feel like we can help a mom process through that and say things like, you know, this really how how he how he's not wanting to be held or seeming to resist you touching him, this really isn't about your abilities as a mom. This really has nothing to do with your skill at parenting him. This is really how he's wired. This is how his little brain and his little system this is this is what we got. This is how he came to us. And it's not that he won't ever get better or that we can't do things to improve. But sometimes just alleviating that underlying guilt and telling a mom, even it even you may not even be saying it's not your fault in those particular words, but you were simply giving her a new level of understanding and acceptance and letting her off the hook and let, helping her let herself off the hook for feeling so darn guilty about a child who seems to resist uh, that, that physical closeness. So again, you've got to kind of work through some of those issues. A lot of times kids who are sensitive to touch refuse to wear certain clothes. They may reject every single new item <laughs> that a mom buys them. And again, they may not be ripping it off and screaming, nah! You know, as they're trying to take their socks off, but you can tell that they're uncomfortable. You know, you can watch their behavior and see they're squirmy. They may be trying to take them off. They may just be trying to run or um, in some way turn the sock or, or you just may see sense that they are just so fussy. And so then you remove that piece of clothing and you realize, gosh, I think it was the shirt. I think he didn't like how that new shirt feels. You know, I better wash that 25 times or I need to cut that tag out or I need to make sure that we have softer, more uh, knit-like clothes. He doesn't seem to like it if the clothes seem a little bit scratchy. Sometimes we'll see this as the seasons change. expect children to wear more clothes when it gets colder we'll kind of see this or even when it gets starts getting warmer there are kids who still really want to wear it's an opposite problem with sensitivity they kind of like the feeling of um touch so they they're comforted when they're completely covered up with a long sleeve shirt and a jacket and and shorts and they have a hard time when we want to strip it all off and and the weather's warmer and they their skin is exposed to air so different problem than what we're talking about but my point is there's some sensitivity there with how they are processing uh these incoming this in, this incoming information on their skin so uh it's different there's a difference there so there's got to be kind of an adjustment time so that's certainly something we might see and so kids who sometimes kids who Want to be naked all the time? <laughs> and OT might tease that down to, man, they have a lot of sensitivity with how they're processing, again, touch to their skin. This could also be kids who are sensitive to touch and who have these tactile issues, may not like to walk on grass or on sand with their little bare feet or on a sidewalk. You might see some some uh, real resistance there. Now, there are some children who seem to have resistance. Do everything that's new and so those are just kids who are slow to warm up so after they've ha- after they've been at the beach for a day or two they're fine on the sand or they're a lot better than they were on day one same thing with grass so again with these uh, kinds of kids we want to really be sure that we're looking at the whole picture it could just be a temperament issue and not necessarily this kind of sensory processing issue that we're talking about, but you have you have to look and kind of figure those things out. This might be a kid who walks on his tiptoes <laughs> because he wants to avoid feeling his entire foot on the floor. For some reason, he really wants to avoid that. So that's a sensitivity thing. But let me just say, sometimes kids who walk on their tiptoes are the opposite. They like that feeling of intensity on the balls of their little feet. So it's actually the opposite problem. They're actually craving more physical input. So again, you got to look at the whole kid. Uh, and a kid who has sensitivity to touch may really also not enjoy tickling. But sometimes this touch is okay because it's deeper pressure, so you'll just have to figure it out. And again, why did I give you all these examples? Because you want to know what to look for. You want to know what might be the underlying reason that a kid isn't playing with a new material and so or, or seems to resist uh, opportunities when people try to get close to him and so that's why he's resisting play with you because he really has this um, unexpected reaction when somebody touches him so again I just wanted to give you lots of examples there and so tactile defensiveness or tactile sensitivity is what we call this Overall problem. So, what are some solutions? What are some ideas that we can try for this? Well, first of all, with these kinds of kids, deep pressure is always, always, always preferred over light touch. So, anytime with a kid like this, we talked about holding hands or kids who really kind of resist that physical kind of touching that you might do with them, unless it's a bear hug or unless you're full out holding them or grasping their hands a little more tightly than you would um, think about normally doing. So deep pressure is a good thing for lots of those children. It does allow them to accept that and to tolerate it and become comfortable with physical touch. A lot of th- times with these kids, too, what's worked really well for me is just to give them more control. So if they don't really like the Play-Doh, I don't really grab their hands and say, oh, you're going to like it. Come on, just do it. That that's almost never works <laughs> because you're really forcing it on them. And, again, I don't know how much you like to be forced to doing something, but I am – pretty rebellious about those kinds of things. If you want to make me do something, it's pretty much guaranteed that I am not absolutely going to do it under any circumstances. And a lot of our kids are like this too. And so you may, instead of using hand over hand assistance and making him do something here, just give him an opportunity. For some kids, You may even slide your hand under theirs instead of on top so that it does feel like they're more in control. It could be that you're offering, you know, instead of you kind of grabbing their little hands, you kind of offer your finger instead (laughs) with these kinds of things. Um, Holding a finger is actually, an OT friend of mine a long time ago reminded me that holding a finger is a primitive reflex, and so some kids will want to do that on into toddlerhood and preschool age rather than holding an entire hand. Um, so that might be something that you would try, too. So, again, let a kid have more control with those kinds of things. So when, let's say you have a kid who does, doesn't does want to hold your hand, but you feel like, gosh, I've got it. I don't want him just holding my finger here. He's still kind of under too much control. You know, he still has the upper hand here. <laughs> Just offer your hand first instead of you grabbing him. Let uh, Hold yours out so that he's in control of that and he can decide to do that too. We've talked about how forcing really, really doesn't work. But sometimes letting a kid be in control of how they would touch a new material or handle a new material is a lot more comfortable when they have a tool. So they don't have to do it with their own hands. So if you're playing with Play-Doh, get a little roller from a Play-Doh uh, playset or... Uh, From the kitchen, uh, a roller, if a kid doesn't like Play-Doh, because it's a new experience, play with food. So talk to mom about giving lots and lots of opportunities for messy play. So even while they're eating. And to some moms, they feel like, gosh, that's going to make them a messy eater all the time. I don't want to do that. This is going to cause more problems for me. Just talk a mom through that. If you're a therapist or if you're a mom, realize that, you know, kids do have to learn how to tolerate (laughs) different textures on their little hands, and this is going to be problematic. The longer we let it stay a problem, the more difficult it will be for us to break that bad habit of not ever touching anything new in the future. So we want to provide exposure and opportunities to normalize that sensation. So provide a tool, sometimes If we have a kid like this and we think, oh, I'm going to do a lot of sensory play, so I'm going to get my sensory box and fill it, or, or, you know, and by that I mean just a a plastic container like a Rubbermaid or, you know, the Sterlite little boxes that you can get that are plastic like at Dollar Tree or Walmart, that brand. Um, We'll think I'm going to do sensory play, so I'm going to put some beans in there, or I might have some dried pasta or some sand and then a kid doesn't want to do it and you're like, "Mm, how am I ever going to get him to do it if he hates this? You know, I don't want to force him. Get some spoons and some shovels so that he gets used to playing with that new texture without having to really touch it. And over time, it will get better. That, That sensitivity will calm. They will start to accept hey, nothing happens to me when I touch this sand. I'm okay. The world did not fall apart around me. And so, again, it becomes more familiar. So you do want to provide those repeated opportunities for that. Sometimes kids are so sensitive at the beginning and then we give them lots and lots of opportunities for their systems to adjust and they do so it kind of looks like the pendulum has swung because at the beginning they didn't like any play like that and then they kind of moved to that's all they want it's like they crave it again that's just their little bodies and their little systems deciding hey this is okay so in some ways I think they're not for lost time and so they seem to want it more and more and more, it will settle down. It will kind of come back to that in the middle happy place, just right place. (laughs) But you have to give them some time to uh, like it and to warm up to it. Sometimes vibrating toys are like that. A kid will reject a koosh ball that vibrates or something at the beginning because they're scared. And then once they realize that they like it, then that's all they want to do. So again, you'll see some of that. So I just wanted to mention it to you so that you don't think that that's unexpected because it is pretty normal uh, for a kid who wants to do that. Uh, Let's talk about kids who don't like being held. You might try sitting beside them or um, doing something that's a little bit less intrusive for them. Um, You might let them take full control instead of you scooping them up and holding them. You might sit in such close proximity that eventually they begin to kind of lean on you and do some things. And that might be, again, a way for a therapist to create some of that emotional closeness. You want to get that physical proximity going, but a kid just can't handle it yet. Those are some things that you might do. And always remember that little hands are more sensitive than anything. So sometimes we'll think about holding a kid's hand rather than holding their whole little bodies. For some kids, they just can't tolerate that, so you're better off to Start with that deep pressure that we talked about before, the bear hugs or the games for their little bodies are really, really, really warmed up. So they're running and jumping and doing all kinds of big body, gross motor, physical things. And then they're able to tolerate the touch better after their bodies are warmed up and in a better place for that. We talked about clothes before for kids who have those tactile sensitivities with clothes. Moms usually have a pretty good idea of what's worked because they have figured that out before you get there. (laughs) But occasionally you'll have a mom who has just not noticed that that's a problem or who's not linked her child's uncomfortable um, responses to tactile sensitivity so she might not have thought about cutting tags out of clothes or making sure that she's selecting materials that seem to be more um, comforting for that child. So talk with moms about that. Sometimes you need to, you know, for a parent who talks about, well, he doesn't like to be outside barefooted. Over time, he does need to (laughs) get his little feet normalized, but right now the solution might be, well, let's make sure he wears shoes so that he can get out there and really play and explore and learn to like being outside before we worry about that. So talk with parents about that. Um, A lot of times with kids like this that who seem to resist any kind of physical touch from people is because, again, they really don't know where their little bodies are in space. So if you are coming up from behind them or, again, this might be a reason that a child rejects playing with other children or being close to other children because they just don't know what to expect or they are kind of they stay on that fearful alert level. And again, this is not something that they're even doing consciously. But as soon as another kid moves toward them, they just want to get away. And so be sure that you are approaching children like this from the front, (laughs) that they can see you coming so that they are aware of that, so that you don't ever send their little systems into, you know, all out assault mode because you didn't know that they were going to or they didn't know that you were going to touch them in some way. We talked about how important OT is for children who have these kinds of sensory processing differences. There's a Will Barker protocol. It's the deep pressure and proprioceptive technique. It's commonly referred to as the brushing program. I've had kids who have had great success with that. It's very regimented in that you just can't brush a kid, you know, one or two times a day and for it to work. It has to be really, really planned and structured. So work with an OT on that. OT should really teach you how to properly administer that technique if you're going to do it. Um, So be sure that you're looking at that too. Um, And there's some additional ideas there in Teach Me to Play with You if you want to look at that for some other things. Let let me – In today's show. I wanted us to get to a couple more problems, but we didn't. That's okay. Let me end the show with a technique that I use all the time to prepare a kid's body, and prepares in quotes, meaning that, you know, he's going to be with other kids, and I want him to interact with me, and so we have to sort of get him ready, but I sing this little song to the tune of Here We Go Around the Mulberry Bush, but I started a kid's feet, and I kind of work my way up, squeezing his Little feet with, you know, this is the way we squeeze your feet, squeeze your feet, squeeze your feet. This is the way we squeeze your feet early in the morning. And then we go to legs and then we go, you know, we move move our way through his little body, which again is a way to uh, help him regulate and calm down so that he can begin to, uh, participate with us and accept us being right there with him. Now, remember when you're doing this, you know, you're going to kind of move up sequentially. So you're going to do his feet and then his calves and his thighs, his shoulders, his arms, and then finally his hands, because hands and mouths are very, very sensitive. So we don't want to go poking around with those kinds of things with children or those body parts with children who have tactile sensitivity. So if that's new for you, be sure that you're talking to an OT about that, if you're an SLP, to be sure that you understand the theory behind that and why that would be. And, again, that will just give you lots and lots of insight with children. All right, so that's the end of today's show. We got through two more problems. I'll be back next week with the next installment in this series. I hope I gave you some things to think about today and to try with either a child of your own or a child you're working with. So have a great week and we'll be back here next time.